What you are about to hear is the Hashtag Cult Podcast. What is a Hashtag Cult? Hashtag Cults are groups that signal membership by using a hashtag or keyword. This allows the group to operate on many different sites and makes them difficult to pinpoint. They use the hashtag model to spread propaganda on a variety of social media platforms without having a central account. This is usually because their ideas are offensive or their methods of communicating are abusive and border on website policy violations. In this show, we will show you the coercive groups and cults hiding in plain sight on the internet. Did you ever hear that that was, that he got paid like some crazy amount to say that? Of course. It's a trademark. Yeah, but like, how do you do that? I don't know, but I want to figure it out because that sounds like a sick gig. Even if it's not a sick gig, don't you just want to be like, fine. So I'll tell you, (laughs) this is a horrible fantasy I have, but I've always wanted to do it. I've always wanted to introduce myself to a group of people as the birthday girl be like hi i'm mike but everybody calls me the birthday girl <laughs> no you should just you shouldn't even say your name just be like hi i'm the birthday girl yeah and they'll be like what that's your name yeah it's it's my my parents are hippies but that's mine <laughs> for all future reference that's my name so <laughs> if you say that if you i'm say, i might steal it go ahead i'm fine with it okay I love that idea as an opening to new, meeting new people. Hi, I'm the birthday girl. So it, if it's anyone's birthday, just you can't call them the birthday girl. <laughs> it's me. I'm Hi, I'm the birthday girl. You just rob anybody else of a good time. Speaking of robbing people of good times, we're in, this is Hashtag Cult Podcast. I'm Mike. Well, I'm birthday girl. I'm- <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> the, you already messed it up. At the first you already chance. messed it up. Oh, they have to. Call. Okay, what's your name? I guess it's up for grabs. Oh, my name? Yeah, you. Teddy Graham. <laughs> Side of fries. Hi, Teddy Graham. Are you chocolate Teddy Grahams or regular Teddy Grahams? Regular. I like wrong cinnamon, answer. Actually. Both the wrong answers. Um, so this uh, podcast is about what? Usually, Paulina, what's it usually about? Usually, it is an investigation of the hashtag cult MGTOW, otherwise known as men going their own way. And today we're going to give a sample of what it's going to be like when we do other investigations. And today, because we're going to feature other cult uh, true crime stories and uh, have the creators on here and talk about it. And we're going to give you a preview of what that's like by also going through my interview techniques. So Paulina has in front of her an email I wrote her um, that has my techniques that I use in all of our interviews and our investigation and just me in journalism in general. And we're going to go through them as a way to talk to me about an experience of mine. So <laughs> let's get let's get started at point number one that starts with most of our subject, which is a typo. <laughs> yes, it's a great place to start. Um, I think the first thing that we need to make clear is how we approach our subjects. Um, 
you know, Mike, how do you approach people? For the MGTOW investigation, they were people that came about naturally in what's called a gonzo style, which is generally what I do uh, uh, some of the time. Uh, not not all of the time, to be honest, but I'm a part of the story. I'm in the story. I'm experiencing these things with these people. It's coming from time, spending time with these people, just even outside of an interview scenario. For the most part in the MGTOW investigation, who are people that use the comment sections of YouTube and forums to, to spread their propaganda, uh, I would go onto the comment section and I would say, hey, you know, I know you think you're being censored by YouTube. Why don't you come on here and talk to me and you can say whatever it is you want. Um, yeah, I also approached some other people that really were sort of friends, uh, some of which we can mention and some of which we can't because they're anonymous. But for the most part, it was this gonzo style of I'm in the world investigating this, telling people about it, and then they want to be on the show, almost all anonymously. Paulina, how do you actually get people? Because you've gotten a few of our very reens has gotten some amazing guests too including rick ross who we just posted that but how, how do you you've gotten some amazing people your your dad cool. rachel bernstein yeah i mean my dad uh i'm i'm pulling on biological ties there mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> just using that uh connection that i was born into um but otherwise i'm a cold email girl i think you know the internet is expansive and you know, it, you're you're able to dream big when it comes to who you're trying to talk to. And honestly, a polite email goes a long way. Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing how also, many people don't believe that, by the way, when you just say to them, like, yeah, you could use you could have first person sources. Just email them and ask to be on the show, ask to be on your podcast. And people are like, but how? It's like, just do it. Right. And, 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 but also I think it's important to, to execute a level of decorum, right? Like you're asking someone a favor, essentially. Yeah. And so, you know, it's kind of like emailing a professor, right? You say, dear professor so-and-so. And I then left you my hat like, in the classroom. I know right. that you have a PhD, but can you please go look for my hat? An email right. I probably have sent. <laughs> no, but I think being polite is really a, it gets you, uh, a long way mm -hmm. um, but also you know I am very fortunate in that you know I I have connections and I think for a long time I was wearing of using them um, because I felt like that was the easy route mm. uh, but now I'm a little bit older and I'm sort of of the belief that you got to use what you got mm -hmm. yeah and I think there's you know. a bad way to use connections and a good way to use connections, but there's there's lots of people that don't that aren't brave enough to even make that step. They don't they don't it's sort of the psychopath test. If you've asked yourself if you're using people cheaply, then you probably aren't. Right, <laughs> you know? right. Yeah, I mean also um Wow, I just lost my train of thought. Well then let's move to step one of Mike's interview technique. No matter how smart the person is, and no matter the subject ma matter, I make a joke about myself. And so I wanted me and Paulina to recreate an Herbal Essences bit that we lost uh, due to technical difficulties. Paulina, do does the shampoo Herbal Essences give women orgasms? Is that what the company is saying? Well... I would never recommend anybody putting soap up their hoo-ha. Yeah. But Don't. as per the commercials, I would I would think it's safe to say that all of those women shaking their heads 
Moaning. Luscious moaning. Luscious locks. Y'all, in the 90s, women would moan on TV. And then their husband, if you would walk into a room and you would hear moaning, you'd be like, what's on TV? Oh, just a shampoo commercial. And the commercial would be like, she's got the herbal in the shower for about a half an hour, which is, what are you doing in the shower for half an hour? (laughs) Only one thing ever. Jaying off. And not jaying off with soap, people. This is a PSA. Okay, we've all been there. We all. Do you think that sudsy sort of pictures of, of like naked women and naked men being like sudsy, that that's like taboo fantasy? It's like, oh, you're not supposed to touch yourself with soap. It's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, my, the danger. <laughs> I, I like to, I like to think of it as like washing away our sins, you know? It's like the one oh, moment Paulina, of you made it that real. we have. <laughs> To me, you know how people are like, I like dangerous men. I'm like, to me, the most quote unquote dangerous thing that may appeal to me is using soap for sex. Like that's as dangerous (laughs) as I want. And honestly, I'm not, that's too dangerous. You're, you're like reckless. I need to break up with you. So, (laughs) so, but there's only, go watch an Herbal Essences commercial. They're trying to say like, no, it's not Herbal Essences. It's, they're not orgasming. It's Herbal Essences. But no one reacts that way unless you're having an orgasm. That's good branding, if you ask me. (laughs) Herbal Essences. We're Australian, I think. Um, (laughs) Are they really? There's a kangaroo in there. No, well, that's... Wait, that's a different brand. Okay, The kangaroo one, that's like the Aussie brand. Okay. Which I was an avid user uh, in the early 2000s. Because you can't Uh, admit that you were an avid Herbal Essences. Herbal Essences is owned by L'Oreal, I believe. Mm Mm-hmm. L'Oreal Kiss, which is an American, another remember really creepy thing L'Oreal? with the eyes on them. They were like creepy Wait, do you shampoo fish. The L'Oreal. Hi guys, we're not going to talk about anything interesting. Just soap. Yeah, the fish. <laughs> I was just saying for kids. The oh, I miss that. Anyway, anyway, the everyone, f- you were either forced in the '90s to have orgasm shampoo or shampoo that would be a fish barfing on your head. It was a weird <laughs> time to be a, a person. <laughs> Right. So we've done step one, which I consider to be like, I want everyone to feel like they're on equal footing. I never like someone to feel like I'm smarter than them or to make them think I think I'm smarter than them, which I never do. Well, I also think that humor can be a disarming tool, right? Like, you know, if, if, if you're the interviewer and you hold the power to make a joke about yourself, kind of it acknowledges your power, but it takes it down a step. Um, and it puts you on evil, uh, even playing field, I believe. Yeah. So now it's just time to start the interview and we'll, we'll let Paulina interpret my, my own instructions, uh, for her own. So go ahead and ask me some questions. Well, as the interviewer here, I hold all the power. And so I better make a joke fast. <laughs> we did the joke um, section. Go to, we did the okay. orgasm shampoo. Now it's on to, to, to the fact that normally we would ask about MGTOW. Uh, but today we're asking about Mike. So Mike, I hear that you have some experience with cults. Yeah. Um, so the way that I would explain it was I was cult adjacent. The group was most certainly a cult in its deeper forms. And there was definitely an effort to recruit me. I didn't resist that recruitment out of knowing it was a cult. I resisted it out of disorganization 
because I don't want to make it seem like oh, I dodged this cult because I was so aware of cults. I wasn't. I found them disorganized, and that was how I avoided the sort of indoctrination. So let's go back. What year is this? I am in college. I was a freshman in college, and I took a gap year. I have a hard time remembering years, so that's the year we're going to say. Um, <laughs> okay, so 50 years ago? No, I'm just 600 kidding. 600 uh, years ago in the <laughs> age of man. Back when dinosaurs roamed. Well, okay, so you're in your gap year. You're no, I'm not in my gap year. I'm going to oh, college. Oh, you're a freshman. You're going yeah. to college after your gap year, mm-hmm. and you stumble upon a group. I want to do animation. I had played hockey in in college, in, in high school, at a varsity level. Did you and, really? Yeah, I was the captain of my hockey team. I was a figure skater growing up. Ooh, pretty. 13 years. Um, we would, which I don't know why figure skaters don't wear helmets. We'll get to that uh, Never. Um, so, <laughs> but uh, I was, I played hockey and I had sort of let, I wanted to, there was an, a, a, an effort to either play some casual hockey in college or let my hockey muscles fade and sort of rebuild my body. I had gotten into animation really early into college and I had heard that animators um, generally take dance. So after a failed summer of kind of trying to get my sister and I to do, or failed plan, it plays out over time, we want, we're going to do ballet and fencing together was the idea. We would sort of uh, take on these high art sort of sports together. Um, I landed on wanting to learn Tai Chi. And this yoga place offered yoga and Tai Chi. It was really close to um, where I was in the city. And so I tried it out. Uh, I will not say the name uh, of the place for reasons um, that we can get into or not, but I, I won't be saying the name of, of the, the actual place I went to. Um, and so I, I wanted to learn, because they don't offer dance to the animators, which I heard was a regular practice at art school, I decided I would learn martial arts and focus mm. on martial arts in order to get my understanding, to really educate myself on how the human body worked. Mm. That's interesting, especially since you came from an, an a, a athlete's background. And so it makes sense that you would find something new. Uh, how did you go from Tai Chi to yoga? I'd ask the same question of the place that ran it. Um, I also <laughs> studied, as we've said in past episodes, the Chinese language, which often involves cultural understanding of, of, of the actual country of origin of the language. I knew what Tai Chi looked like. Did one Tai Chi. So I would come in every day after class and they would do, by the way, it wasn't yoga. Now that I know more about yoga, it wasn't either. They would call it Tai Chi and yoga. Uh, I didn't know anything about yoga at the time. So I didn't know that element, that it really wasn't yoga. Um, and so they, we, we would do these. The only thing that was yoga-like was the, the, the diaphragmatic breathing, which is where you suck in your stomach when you blow out air and, and, and push out your stomach when you suck in mm-hmm. air. Uh, if that's confusing, congratulations, yoga. Uh, and <laughs> th- that was really the, and that's a big part of the cult element of it, in my opinion. But I would go after every class and kind of say like, well, when are we going to do Tai Chi? And they would sort of push me off and be like, oh, we do this this day or that's more advanced and, and things like that. Um, yeah. And, and so, so I did I have, not know I, I was have, getting. Yeah, I have either. some questions about specifically 
you know, the environment? Was this a, you know, a well-established studio? Was this a hole in the wall that you were going to because you were on a student budget? Uh, what was the environment in which this was happening? Hmm. Yeah, it was, it being a hole in the wall. And one thing that, that is interesting about martial arts in general is a lot of times you don't know there's a structure. For example, my uh, when I did Taekwondo, which was an altogether very positive experience um, later on in my life, um, you know, you then learn, oh, my master has a master. Oh, my, my master is this many masters from the top of this, you know, intense martial art, this traditional martial art. You know, oh, my master, for example, was, you know, from... Uh, Israel and America. And so he had to kind of work his way into a Korean based, tr very old martial art. You know, this was traditional Taekwondo there. They could trace its ancestry and things like that. Um, so how far to the top was he and all those sorts of things? I didn't know that when I first started studying. Mm. So how big they were when I walked into the yoga studio the, and the Tai Chi studio, uh, the, the one that I considered a cult. I also studied with a, a not a cult, CK Chu in uh, in New York City, who was Tai Chi, and I learned more about martial arts there than anywhere else uh, in the world ever. Uh, but so, so what I'm hearing from you is they that were a big organization, a but I didn't know this. Okay, so with your Taekwondo background, you were able to trace a lineage of of training, right? Your master had a master, and that master had a master, and it's based in this deep tradition. Um, do you feel as though there was a deep tradition within this, the, the place that you felt was a cult? No. Or, right. And, no. you know, that's interesting because in, this is a little off topic, but it's related. Uh, when it comes to clairvoyance, mm -hmm. <laughs> when a clairvoyant tells you they're clairvoyant and that's it, that's usually a warning sign. A really well-trained clairvoyant will tell you what tradition they're studying under, who they studied with, you know, what they're it, within the like framework of clairvoyance where their expertise lies. Right. And I think the same thing mm. could be applied here. Right. Whenever anybody can't tell you where the tradition is cultivated or where the source of information comes from, it's it's a warning sign. See, um, and I think that this is like a good moment to talk about how you can actually get along with people who look at the world differently than you people. So maybe just chill. Like Paulina knows I'm listening to this clairvoyant thing and be like, the warning sign of clairvoyant is clairvoyant. And like, you know, <laughs> we're, we're, we're totally different. It's so interesting. We should do a whole, we should do a whole clair, like, you know, so much about it. And we've always like skirted around. Maybe we'll do an episode like this in our next break. I would break love and talk because you went it. to like, right? You went to like a, intuition class or something i did an independent study with a clairvoyant yeah we've got to do like a whole this that's got to be let's preview that now we've got to do yeah. a whole episode uh, eventually about i'll talk about my clairvoyance clairsentience and clairaudience <laughs> my clairaudience is just people who like clairs um <laughs> eclairs if you will you know um oh i am a clairaudience in that case mm. uh so i only bring it up to yeah. say when I walked into this hippy dippy experience of spirituality and moving and not seeing Tai Chi at all and not knowing yoga at all, but knowing that this probably isn't a part of it, I was not attracted to that. I really wanted to learn how the human body worked. And it's very important to animation to like, you know, look at a Spider-Man drawing, for example, which is really inspiring to me, not as an artist, but as like, I can't do that. 
because Spider-Man's anatomy is just so crazy. And if you look at superheroes in general, which is like one of the big examples they give about anatomy, you can't exaggerate the human body if you don't know how it works in the first place, because then it just looks like a kid's drawing of boobs. You know, it's like (laughs) these are boobs and this guy has a muscles. And so if you don't know anatomy, you can't do superheroes. And so that was like really important to me was to understand how where's where is that character's hips right now? Where Mm. how is that character's spine oriented right now? Uh, you know, where does that bone go when you do that? How far can you lift your hand above your head? Uh, this was stuff that's inherent to animation. Um, and I that's so interesting. It. I, I mean, it makes complete sense, but I never thought actively learning. I, I think it's insightful that learning how to move your own body helped cultivate your craft. Anatomy is often a part of teaching art. My school offered for sure an anatomy drawing class. I decided to do martial arts. <laughs> just letting NYU was like, go out and learn some Tai Chi. <laughs> Get out of here, kid. I, I decided to do this. This was me being me. So when you decided you wanted to learn Tai Chi, yes, we've established that this was a place where the... The, it the was sign kind of... said Tai Chi. Oh, did it? Yeah. That's amazing. You were just like, which way to Tai Chi? And you were like, that sign says it. <laughs> Hey, hey there, New York newspaper salesman. (laughs) We're going to go to my latest Tai Chi center. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here in the big city. (laughs) Uh, So, sorry, go on. Yeah, so the sign said it. And I would ask about specifically two exercises. One was Tai Chi form and the other was um, push hands, which is a very, is a very advanced exercise in the world of Tai Chi. Uh, which is essential to its um, martial style. Um, it, it, it's a game that involves you pushing, having to stay connected to the person's wrist, but never disconnecting. So if you, for example, push back, pull back really quickly, the person might fall because they're pushing too hard against your arm. And sort of the idea is a perfect Tai Chi master is aware of how to yield in order to make their opponent fall over. Um, very powerful and sort of metaphorical part of Tai Chi, uh, this yielding in order to win. And so it's this exercise of being even and feeling your weight and not distributing too much, but not, not putting force. And I would ask every, at the end of every class, we would go in and they would be like, you need to feel your energy and move around in the spirit. Well, first, let me say this. First, they would start every exercise with intense um, diaphragmatic breathing, which I've learned okay. later is a big part of many different cults. Really? Yes. Intense breathing exercises is a big part of many cults, especially well, that ones make, that draw from Eastern uh, philosophies. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense because when you deep, deep breathe, you activate your vagus nerve, which is like at the bottom of your stomach, I believe. Yeah. Viva nerve um, vagus. Yeah. And so it, it, it puts you in a state of calm mm. uh, rather immediately. So it, it makes sense that they would want to make you feel calm. Uh, and let me be clear. I was super chill during these years. This did make me very chill. And they knew some stuff about the human body that worked. Like, it was really relaxing. They did know some tricks that we can get into if you want about diaphragmatic breathing. I Um, absolutely want to hear the tricks. So one of the things that they were able to observe was the connection between doing intense diaphragmatic breathings into... um, the area, I believe it's sometimes called the second chakra, um, not the first chakra, which is like where your sacrum. anus is. 
Yeah. yeah. And they would be very specific. Don't let the energy go to your anus. And what do they mean by energy? They're talking about like this. Did they say anus? Because that would be insane. I don't know if they did. They might have said they it once to be said, like said very the seat or something like that. No, I would have been. I w- if they said anus, I would have liked that because I'm <laughs> one of the things about martial arts is as you've heard, I'm drawn to specific anatomy, and I was there's sort of different. Let me get to the my thing with martial arts is I really know how to ask questions about what I need to do. When we can, I don't want to divert, but like. If they had said anus, I would have liked that because I specific. And so I would guessing they probably did say anus. Yeah, but the the bottom sh- the bottom chakra isn't really about your your bee hole. Well, but let me. So so I don't know about chakras. Let's be clear here. I know about what these people knew about the human body according to whatever amalgamation of nonsense they had thrown together. Do you know what I mean? So I don't right, want it to right. sound like I'm trying to say it in the way I know it from the cult. Not from how it probably, just as Tai Chi, I've never looked into it, but just as Tai Chi was not this way, this confirms this is probably not how the chakras work either. Right, right, right. (laughs) So the area two inches below your belly button. And when you breathe into that and you make sure to not necessarily squeeze your anus or your like Kegel, but to kind of keep it, not let it get loose because you can relax that and that's that that would allow this quote unquote energy to get there. That there was a keep relation. Keep your butthole loose. Yeah, keep your butthole tight was sort of their thing. It was like keep it or relatively tight. Opposite. And so you would breathe in and let let your, your stomach kind of push out into that area. And what they observed, which I know other people have observed too, is a connection between your palms when you breathe in and push that part of your stomach out and the top of your head when you breathe out and push that part of your stomach in. It created a sensation, which is, if you can achieve it, very very otherworldly uh it it, it so feels very strange breathing in you feel it in your palms breathing out you feel it in the top of your head it gives the illusion or perhaps we don't understand something metaphysical but i would say the way i would say it is it gives the illusion that you are moving this heat energy around your body it gives this illusion that when you breathe in this energy goes and you would always hold your hands near your stomach as well a sort of mm-hmm a few feet, uh, a foot and a half out from your stomach down like by it. And it would give this illusion that you're breathing in this energy and it's hitting your hands. And then when you breathe out, it would travel out through your head. Interesting. And that was a big part of the exercises was feeling was, was, was sort of body scanning and feeling that sensation. And that was truly and honestly, you can always say negative things about a cult, but honestly and truly, that was the thing that kept me there because I thought this was so interesting and I wanted to know more tricks about this. I thought it was really fascinating. Um, and so we would start every class with intense, sometimes if it was an hour long class, sometimes 20 minutes of jumping and doing things with the, the diaphragm and breathing for, for a long, significant portion of the class was this, this um, diaphragmatic breathing. Um, Interesting. How long did you go to this studio? Well, that that sort of gets into the beginning of the end, but I would say a year and a half. Because I know I definitely went like close to, it was like close to a year. And then like, as I started to discover my other teachers, including my grandpa, who was trained in boxing and uh, was at one point an Olympic hopeful. Um, Wait, what? Yeah, he was an Olympic hopeful, but uh, had a head injury and they explained to him uh what that had it my, my my grandfather actually boxed for the new york police department um and uh he was an olympic hopeful training with them as a part of his uh police training 
he would, you know, they have certain sports and certain people get, you know, as extracurricular activities. That was, they train a team. They have resources uh, for certain sports, including wrestling. The, his training partner I mean, in they wrestling, have enough money to do that. He was not a boxing policeman for a long time because they explained the head injury that he had had and said that it was fine. And he said, that's not fine. That he got hit real hard and they said, no, 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 you can still box. Just don't get hit in the head. It was something along those lines of that. <laughs> and he was like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So um, he offered an insight. He uh, trained me in my family's style of boxing. Um, and that was a very powerful moment in my life to get to do that and to get to be training in Tai Chi and then getting to uh, box with other boxers I knew in New York City and um, then then transitioning to fencing exclusively at a certain point. I, I, had, I am what's called a sort of a ronin. There's like lots of martial arts uh, archetypes. Mine was always of the traveling. If I can pretend that I'm Jules from Pulp Fiction. I wanted to just <laughs> wanted to just walk the earth like Cain from Kung Fu. And so I often, this is to say how long I've been there, I often go up higher in individual martial arts because I bring my training and I don't reveal it to them, but essentially I look like a prodigy. Mm. And so that allows them to kind of teach me quicker than other people, you know. Okay, humble brag. We see you. I don't think I was being humble. I'll say this. I'll say this again. I don't believe in humble bragging. I'm for sure bragging. Um, <laughs> I, in my course of doing martial arts, achieved a brown belt in Taekwondo. I got to fight with black belts before I was a black belt. I got to spar with them. That was a huge accomplishment. I that's I really won, cool. I won three um, fencing uh, uh, tournament medals. I uh, competed in a Taekwondo. I technically got a medal in the Taekwondo tournament, but I don't. I don't know. It was an accomplishment to compete, but there was not a lot of competitors. So, um, yeah. And I, I learned to, to, to box with my, my grandfather. And uh, I, I, I am not being humble about my martial art accomplishment. Yes. I consider it part of my education. Listen, there's no reason to be humble. Um, Stop humble I think bragging. That's, no, I think it's super cool. I think it's super cool. Um, and to bring it back uh, to the cult, it, yeah. it seems like you were kind of a prime candidate to yeah. kind of engage in this fully having some you know insight into what it should be like and i can imagine like for me like you know i was an ice skater growing up and like i played rugby in college and Sick. you know yeah new sports always like you you come with the knowledge of the sport before it right mm. and that doesn't just go away and so i can imagine finding this studio and learning this breathing uh technique uh must have felt pretty revolutionary it felt like if, if a i felt as though i was not built for team sports once i started to understand individual sports i really didn't understand the technique of coaching and strategizing with team sports as much as i understood the others so that was a revolution that was happening and i also felt like i had been studying my body at a, a fairly high level you know i probably say uh, a, a rare level for a lot of people and i didn't understand it that was like revolutionary and it made me feel like I was on the right path with martial arts. So we have the background. When did it start feeling weird? Yeah. Like that's the thing, right? Like there's this thing with, with cults that I've learned from other survivors now, which I'm not a survivor. I dodged it, but the, the, there's this thing where it's like narcissists and people sort of super into their philosophy they don't know the difference between being polite and listening 
and mm. ignoring in your head and like just like but they think that if you do that you love it and so i think it started to get weird there was some global tragedy something horrible had happened some big a lot of people had died it was something everyone had heard about on the news and at the beginning of the class they had asked us to transmit our energy to the people struggling with it um and that was annoying because to me martial arts and sports were these things that were isolated from the world and they were all about you understanding you and your other martial artists and this this goal of improving ourselves not in that way so it put a buzzkill and i was also like is that something you think i can do mm. and that mm. was weird and, but then I just wanted to get into the exercise and I was super enthusiastic in terms of how long it's better to ask how much I would go three times a week. Yeah, I guess what I'm thinking is, you know, it's it's easy to say, let's just all transmit our energy to the people suffering. Like, I, I don't know. I you got the I voice? can understand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I can understand why, you know, you're going to this space to complete a specific task. Um, and it is interesting to me that the the acknowledgement of the outside world was disorienting. I didn't like it. I just, I just, it was like you, you, you like the thing that I, uh, I've learned in listening to your MGTOW investigation, Paulina, is pretending I'm a guest, is um, <laughs> it's very unexpected to learn how people get out of these things or, or find something. And it was not a thing of like, that's creepy. It was not a thing of like, whatever. My, when you asked when it got weird, I was like, that's annoying. That was it. That was my only emotion. I didn't think anything else about that event, which was horrible. And I was obviously shook by b b before this. And, 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 and it was just like, that's annoying. That's the emotion at the time is why wh that's annoying. Why is that happening right now? That's never happened before. Uh, yeah. Mm. And that's when it's, it started to get a little bit weirder. Um, I was very much hoping there was magic here. And the moment that it got that it starts to crest with getting weird was I started to get very good at this thing with my stomach. And one of the dangerous things about this cult is that doing these exercises, these intense diaphragmatic breathings, breathing out as hard as you can and sucking in your stomach as hard as you can, which is the way to in intensify this feeling, is it's very annoying to be drinking and eating before this. So if mm -hmm. I'm going multiple times a day, three times a week, I was not eating two hours before or two hours after. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty limited amount of time to like, and bowel movements are stimulated by this. You would frequently see new members have to leave the class to go to the bathroom or to urinate, which they were allowed to do. But there was definitely a pressure uh, in a group setting to feel like you couldn't, but not eating was the easier solution. Interesting. N and that becomes a part of the controversy over this cult is that not eating is for sure something that if you're very good at their techniques, like I was, it's way better. It works better if you don't eat or don't drink as much. So it's almost like a, a purity thing. No, they weren't encouraging that. It's a physical thing. It's a physical okay. thing. It feels uncomfortable to have a poop in your stomach when you're doing this exercise. <laughs> <laughs> because you're moving all of this activity to your to your lower intestines. It's it's pure. It, it, and that's the thing about cults is like it's never it's uh, the phrase that you and I came up with. 
it's always evolution. It's very, it's always evolution and adaptation. It's very rarely planned. They don't know that that's, they're probably unaware. Like if you had talked to other members and been like, man, I just can't eat before this class. They'd be like, I know, right? Cause you have to poop, but they <laughs> might not be aware that that has an effect on the fact that most of the members really trying to get good at it are not eating that much. Okay. So it's it's an unintentional side effect. I mm-hmm. guess my next question would be, obviously, within a traditional cult, there's a leader and a follower, right? Was there a singular teacher that they had or was it a collection of teachers or what what specifically threw this into sort of cult territory rather than just uh, new age breathing techniques? What threw it into cult territory is two things. One, um, there was never the idea of you don't have to believe in this energy, but there was never the implication that like you have to believe in it either. It was the passiveness that started to clue me off. When I got really good at these techniques, I once was talking to a teacher, an up and coming teacher who was closer to my age. And I said, I felt really powerful in this, in this session, doing these techniques and modifying what I was doing. It feels like a lot of power and I'm trying to figure out what, what that power indicates in terms of energy and whether or not you can harness that in some other way. Now, the look on his face was something of like, maybe he thought it was shocking, but he didn't say anything to be like, oh no, it's just an effect that happens when you push blood to your lower bowels or, you know, whatever. He didn't reveal anything to me. So there became this veil of secrecy and this veil of passively letting people be as crazy as they wanted. That happened about two weeks before there was a lecturer. The lecturer came in and said some fairly concerning stuff to get them to take their classes and go to their retreats and to continue to study at a higher level. Chief of which was that you should be sleeping four hours a day. What? Yes. And that it was not optional. You could sleep four hours a day. That's the best way to do it. I, obviously, I'm not going to listen to that. Um, but that was there. I think Newton did like four hour sleeping cycles. Well, that's the thing is like for me, I didn't say again, it's this thing of like being aware and why no one's immune to cults. It's like I didn't say, wow, that's weird. I'm looking back on it saying, wow, that's weird. I looked at, right. and, I looked at it and said, well, this is actually what I said at the time. I said, well, I, I actually am very comfortable with six or seven hours. Um, so well, long so as I go nine to, or ten. Right. That everyone's different is the point. And it's not some superpower to be able to only sleep two hours or whatever, or three hours. You know what I mean? There's definitely an amount of sleep you need. But I was at the time like, oh, I'm really good with like six or seven hours. So I'm just going to ignore this and not go into the implications of this woman thinking this. Right. And that's what I thought at the time. I didn't think, oh, this is culty. I just thought, well, I'm going to ignore this advice. And then she went on to talk about the chakras and the only time I had seen someone get re- like um, turned down or, or uh, uh, rejected as being crazy was, and this showed you how, sort of how rampant and then there probably was more leadership once you went to retreats and things like that, but how rampant the kind of recruiting and letting people be just spiritual and kooky was, was someone, this person was an expert and someone raised their hand and was like, I, I, when I closed my eyes, cause we had to do some chakra seeing exercise, she was like, and the woman described what colors you should be seeing. And the woman said, well, this woman in the audience said, well, I saw them in reverse. And the woman said, that's wrong. You didn't do it. Meanwhile, <laughs> we were trying to see colors in some way. 
that was odd. But at that same meeting, I had learned this relaxation technique where you sort of pick up someone's feet and really stimulate them. And then when they are put down, it feels like they're floating. Um, so there was always something that kept me from ignoring the really weird stuff like seeing colors and sleeping four hours a night because it was like, oh, that foot thing is awesome. That foot thing's crazy. Interesting. There was eventually a move to get me to go to a retreat. Okay, that's what I was waiting for. I was like, where is the, the you know, because I'm thinking, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I've been to a yoga class where they said shit like that, you know, like, mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of feels, you know, pseudo new age bullshit, but I want to hear what happens next. It was a simple matter of Michael being persnickety. Paulina, you've done podcasts with me. You know how organized <laughs> I am. You know how much I'm about plan and times. They had said to me, go to this retreat. And I asked for an itinerary. They could not, would not provide one. That was it. That was it. That was weird enough for me. I started, it started to click me to how weird this place was. It's a retreat. You had to drive somewhere. You had to sign up. You had to pay before you had to fill out forms. And yet there was no, the answer every time was like just general Tai Chi stuff. There was never any answer as to what we were going to do on the retreat. And I said, I'm a student to go and do something on a weekend away from my friends and away from these like future colleagues. I'm not going to do it if I don't know what I'm doing because I knew about the hippie stuff. And I was like, I'm not going up there to talk about how my foot chakra was disturbed by a planet. That's not going to be my weekend. If we're going to go up there and like lift heavy stuff and like become superpowers, then yes, sign me up. But right. But I wasn't going to do the other one. So they couldn't say that. And I said, and my teacher was very disappointed. He said, why didn't you go on the retreat? I said, you wouldn't tell me what it was. I'll go to the next one if you can print me out a receipt and they never, a, 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 a itinerary. And they wouldn't do that either. Come 420, which used to fall on Earth Day, as definitely a move by the hippies. I asked every class about form. I said, when are you teaching me form? And they were going to have a sort of booth set up um, in a park by the UN. And they were going to teach all the people that went there a form. So my teacher said, you know, Mike, you should go and, and learn this form with them and do it. And I did that. I went. I loved learning the form. And I was like, I even asked some of the members, like, why isn't this something we do in class? And they sort of got dismissive answers around that. And then when we were done with the form... Uh, someone said to me, hey, will you go around and ask people to sign this petition? To which I said, huh? And the, the, there was a clipboard in my hand. And then I went over and said, what is this petition for? She said, just that people are in favor of our yoga. And I was like, I'm not doing that. What is there to be in favor of? A- and no answer was given. So I left. What? I left. That's I, very strange. <laughs> as it turns out, and why I'm not saying the name of this group, who has changed their name since. Uh, they had killed two people on a retreat. Two no. People, two people had died. Their family sued for wrongful death. And um, they were exonerated. The case was dropped. The main claim of which, I believe, I haven't read the decision in a while, but the main claim of which was that the actions these people took to be in bad health before the retreat had nothing to do with the retreat. But remember, I mentioned before that if you're doing 
this exercise, you're not eating that much because it's mm. uncomfortable and it would hurt you. And there's people going around telling you to sleep four hours a day, not at the retreat, but going to classes for students more interested and more advanced. So while nothing happened at the retreat, the, the dead members, unfortunately, probably weren't able to say, yeah, but like I couldn't poop if I, if I ate so much. I was, in, I was in pain doing these exercises. There was someone that came casually at the place and, and everyone encouraged me to sleep four hours a night. You know, it's, it's difficult to do these exercises, which are very intense when you get to be there and be shaking and doing all these things. But if you have to leave and pee, it kind of ruins the whole rhythm you're building up in order to feel this thing. So I'm not drinking, maybe. Wow. And wow. That was my break from this group. Wow. I was waiting for the uh the culmination, you know, cuz it does sound weird. It sounds weird, but it's not, you know, It wasn't too weird for me to stay. It was I would have stayed at that level of weirdness. Like you're right. Like people just say shit like that. Energy like to Like all the whatever. time. I all feel the like time, that's yeah. par for the course. <laughs> like Yeah. Like you know, just you know there's like an instagram that's like awaken healers and like it's like look at the stars they're shining for you you know it's like <laughs> that shit's everywhere yeah um but how did it feel to find out that people who went on retreats literally died you know there's there's the dodge a bullet feeling right away because I didn't know I didn't, like I said, I was not creeped out by the retreats for any safety reason. Other people in my life were, but I was not, I was like, uh, you better tell me which exercises I'm doing. And I want it to be mostly exercises. You know what I mean? I didn't know right, that. So right. there was this, there was this dodge a bullet feeling, you know, there is that selfish self-preservation feeling right away. And then there's this thing of like safety It's like, okay, I don't even want to go back. Like I had several lessons or whatever sessions on my card or some month and I never answered their calls again. I just let it lapse. Like that was my decision, which is tough for an organization person to not call up and be like, I need to cancel right away. Give me yeah, a refund. Yeah. You know, like uh, uh, that was, that was probably tougher. And then there's this realization of like, Oh my, Oh my God. Like I believe this. Like it doesn't matter what actually happened on the retreat there was this feeling of like yep yep i could see that happening and not being scared of it but kind of like i think because i had already moved on to better martial artists by many miles i probably would have felt a sense of loss and probably would have been mm. into that sunk cost thing but because i was mm. with some really great fencing teachers and you know with my grandfather and uh having some very powerful good martial arts experiences coming up in my life um I probably would have felt some loyalty or something. Uh, but that sunk cost was ameliorated by the fact that I was pretty much doing martial arts every night of the week at this point in New York City. Wow. Um, yeah. And it just felt, I felt like, okay, we're done. That was it. It was, it was like a safety yeah. thing right away. It was a safe, it was a safety thing right away. Looking back on it now, I mean, it's, they didn't, they didn't get shut down. That's the thing I think That's about. That's wild. That's really wild. Uh, my next question would be about community. Did you feel, was it more, you know, show up, do the thing, get out? Or did you feel like you were part of a community? And if so, um, did you ever express concerns or 
discomfort with anybody. So when you're a, 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 a traveling t- student where you go from, from martial arts teacher to martial arts teacher, you're often in embarrassing situations. I've taken a lot of fencing classes with like 12-year-olds because my fencing <laughs> teacher would be like, you're bad. No one learns this at this age. You need to go to my class with like 12-year-olds and you'll be my assistant. I'll let you take the class for free so it's not weird. But like you're going to go and do this because you actually don't know the basics that well. And if you want to get serious, I need to teach you like a child. And so you have weird community experiences that are kind of like, I'm not going to be friends with kids. I have to pretend to be like an assistant teacher. Like, you know what I mean? And like in Taekwondo is the same too. Like how many 101 classes are there available for Taekwondo? Not many. And you're not going to be friends with them. You're going to be a a little bit distant. I am a little bit younger of an age. And so I had to be mature and be like a little bit of a role model, listen to the teacher. But there were moments in even Taekwondo and fencing where people would try and, you know, Taekwondo has a history of ranks and things like that. And they would do weird stuff. And anytime that happened as a traveling student, I would always be like, all right. You know what I mean? Like if someone if someone's like, oh, you should listen to me. I have a higher belt rank. I'm like, right, right. Okay. (laughs) It's like, okay, okay, we get it. You smell your own farts. I know. But I guess in this group, I would never have wanted to be a part of them as part of it. I would never, there was always right. opportunity to be on email lists and Facebook groups and all these different things with every martial arts group I was in. I, I, was, so I knew I was a, moving on. So there was a strict sense of community. There was, I knew I was moving on. I okay. knew that this was not my forever martial arts, that nothing would ever be my forever martial arts because of everything I wanted to learn. And so for me, that was another coincidence that I managed to, to say, no, I don't, I don't need you as a friend. I'm, I'm not going to be here in two years. You know, I never spent more two years in a studio. Right. I guess my question would be, you know, thinking of a profile of a traditional cult, right? There's a leader and the followers all religiously follow everything they say and to disobey in any shape, way or form, you know, obviously disrupts the illusion and and creates, you know, its own thing. And so if if we're looking at this in terms of a traditional sense of a cult, Mm -hmm. you know, would you say that this was like traditional? Because I obviously, you know, the particulars more than I do, Mm. you know, you know, who the teachers were and all that. Um, You know, is this a cult or was this just a shitty business? You've got to think about how a cult recruits. I think that the easiest example for me to do, which isn't from our sources, but uh, because it's less confusing, flirty fishing is, I think, the easiest one. I just banged a girl at a bar. That has nothing to do with joining a cult. What? And that was uh, part of the, the, um, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, children of God cult. They would sleep with uh, men and then eventually recruit them. Or sleep with women as well. That was called flirty fishing. What business can you have that gets people in? And is it just, you know, I don't, we have an interview coming up with someone who survived a cult where they were working there. What, you know, cults are about evolution, in my opinion, is the big thing I've learned. They are about the idea that you have a thing, you get into an emotion, you follow that emotion, you crave that emotion, you, 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 you are reacted by that emotion, maybe in some cases, you, 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 you feel good about being in this narcissistic way. The retreats were where the more culty stuff was happening. The secret mm. clandestine, you sh- you're going to be invited to this lecture at night. You're going to be invited to this thing. That was where they would take those members. Otherwise, it was just about yoga, quote unquote, and Tai Chi. 
right and and we could get people in and then it was a little bit of a money thing and so the question is where does the cult end and start no one sets out to make a cult no one sets it they cult they set out to change the world they usually set out with great ambitions we're going to spiritually lift people up as these people we're going to make you stronger in your life mentally and spiritually by giving you a place to feel good that was their ambition i have nothing wrong with that business but the practices evolved into these retreats where only students like me who had a lot of physical perhaps i could do physical things improve things to other people you know i was young i had an eight pack abs i was very skinny and i All was right, very brag, strong brag. I, yeah, not, I, everyone should brag about when they're young and have abs uh so like That's i true. was i was someone who could go to a retreat and maybe you might go to another retreat like look at this guy and they asked me how much i'm doing this thing i'm doing it a lot you know it's it's is it part business is it part cult i don't think that i don't think you can know unless you talk to the leaders why it starts to get into these manipulative practices and if they're aware of the manipulative practices and if they're aware of how like oh i could see how hitting people up to do this and feel a part of our community and feel a part of these secret spiritual gates that we can show them in these nice retreats but also at the same time kind of using these tiring techniques to to, to get them to go to another one i don't know right. unless you ask the, the leaders of it i i don't know if you can know ring 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 hello hello um, it's me the cult leader whoops i mean <laughs> ted <laughs> well that leads to my final question uh which is for our listeners if you find yourself in a situation, if, if this is an advice question for our listeners, okay. uh, if you find yourself in a situation in which you know your spidey senses are tingling, your intuition is telling you something is wrong, what is your advice for those listening? Hmm. You know, this is a question in the world of martial arts that's so uncomfortable, and an analogy that I that 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 shows you this is how to dodge punches the novice martial artist believes that the correct move to do is to move away from the punch this is incorrect because you can only take one step backwards and your attacker can also take that same step forward and keep punching you in martial arts the idea is you are most safe when moving out of the way and towards the punch and so my advice is like in a shower, when you're taking a shower and it's hot and your instinct is to move to the back of the shower, but the reality is I need to move to the front of the shower and change the temperature. You need to ask questions. Just ask questions. No one's been kicked out of a yoga class ever. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a 100% retention no. rate. But like... But like just I don't just, know about that. Yeah, probably not. Again, I've never actually been to a yoga class. So um <laughs> uh which is true, by the way. Spent a year and a half in this yoga group. I've never done yoga. Uh, That's spectacular. I love that. And so I would say move forward. Ask a question. Ask a question right away. Because I didn't know, I didn't my spidey senses didn't go off. I was being anal retentive which give it up anal retentive anal is now a different thing but um <laughs> i was being like i want to know the schedule and that bothered me just ask questions move forward move into the move away from the punch and towards the target is what i would say being very martial artsy 
Beautiful. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much for sharing your experience oh, with it's us on wonderful. Hashtag Cult. Oh, look at that 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 alarm that just went off. <laughs> Very that almost sounded like it was planned. Now I have to put in some some music. <laughs> That's like hippy dippy towards the end. Now let's be oh, ethereal please. and ending the episode. And everyone, send your energy to ah. iTunes. Give us a five star energy review. If you've done a five star review already, ask someone else. It's me, Ringo from the Beatles. Do you want to help us on iTunes? Review it. We both have to go. I got nervous because I can't do a Beatles accent. That's fine. I'm not doing it very well either. I'm a Beatle! Hi, I'm the Beatles! It's me, the Beatles, Randy Quaid! Paul Joe! Paul Brigo Dead! I play the I play my guitar with the left hand. It's me, Paul McCartney. <laughs> I'm Paul McCartney. I'm Did Paul McCartney, say- but you microwave me too long. Oh, I thought you said call Mach- Paul McCartney. I did say that. Oh, you did? Okay, good. Oh, no, it's short. Nope, didn't. Changing it. Paul McShartney. Live from from Madison Square Garden, Paul (laughs) McShartney. And with that... It's just Paul McCartney, but, like, every once in a while, he, like, looks off stage and, like, adjusts his pants, like, a little, and he's like, "Mm." (laughs) mmm. And someone's like, and you know in the back of your mind, that's the main difference between a Paul McCartney and Paul McShartney Oh, no, I love the idea of him just being, like, recklessly... A charter, you know. So he's like, "I love all of you. Thank you so much for following me over the over the years." (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, I just sharted. Yeah. What are we doing? Are we done? (laughs) We're done. We're done. Paul Machardy. All right, Paul Machardy. If you or someone you know has experienced a hashtag cult, is trapped in a hashtag cult, or you have been affected by any group mentioned in this show, go to hashtagcult.org for resources or to get in touch with the show. We want to hear your story.